Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I wanted to take a moment and tell you about one of my favorite companies, Paleo Valley. They make some of the world's best health products, and I really love their Essential C Complex, which is one of the only immune-boosting products on the market that's made from whole food sources of vitamin C that your body can effectively absorb. You see, most vitamin C products only contain a fraction of vitamin C called ascorbic acid. This is the synthetic form of vitamin C, and it's often processed with GMO corn. With Essential C Complex, you get the full spectrum of vitamin C with all the additional nutrients, minerals, and bioflavonoids that make it so powerful in the first place, the way nature intended. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains three of the most potent sources of vitamin C on the planet, the unripe acerola cherry, the amla berry, and the kamu kamu berry. The acerola cherry alone is 120 times more potent than an orange. The daily recommended amount of vitamin C was decided upon based on the amount of vitamin C you need to not get scurvy, not really the amount you need for a stronger immune system. And this is why Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains 750% of your daily recommended value of vitamin C, completely sourced from nature, so you can thrive, not just survive. You see, vitamin C is an extremely fragile nutrient, and it can very easily lose potency if it's not processed correctly. So Paleo Valley has worked with the most responsible manufacturers they could find to gently break down each of these fruits. And to guarantee no vitamin C was lost in the processing, they recruited a non-biased third-party tester to confirm it contains the amount they put on the label. Because in times like these, when everything seems uncertain, your immune system shouldn't be. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex is non-GMO, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and made with all organic superfoods. No fillers or flow agents that you'll find in most supplements. Nothing weird, just food. Check out paleovalley.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS, just simply my last name, JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S today to get 15% off your order. Well, welcome back to the podcast. We've got another exciting Q&A. We're going to talk a lot about fasting, autophagy. We're going to talk about things you can do, do to support your energy levels and so much more. We love getting your, your questions that you guys ask us on social media, YouTube. So if you're not following me on YouTube, definitely do. Instagram, we grab a lot of questions that you guys have from Instagram. So just check it out, Dr. David Jockers. And every month with one of my health coaches, we do these Q&As. And today we've got Hampton. He is an awesome health coach, works with people all around the world, uh, really helping them address the underlying root causes of chronic health conditions. So if you or somebody you know is dealing with chronic health issues, reach out to somebody like Hampton. He is great to work with. We'll help listen to what's going on 
provide really helpful questionnaires, um, review lab testing or give lab testing recommendations, and figure out what the root cause of your health conditions are, and then work with you to customize a plan, something that you can be successful with um, that's going to help you address those root causes and be on the path to getting well. So Hampton, thanks so much for joining us on the Q&A here. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Doctors. Glad to be here as always. Um, as you said, we've got some great questions. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive in for us and yep. see what we can we can answer for folks. Sounds great. All right. So let's see. We're going to start with Marcus on Instagram. And Marcus asked, how long do you need to fast to reach autophagy? I've heard some say 16 hours and others say it takes about three days. Is there any way to know? Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, at this point, we don't have actual lab testing to let us know when you hit that, you know, autophagy threshold. Autophagy is happening at some level on a regular basis, but, you know, to get a significant amount, there is a certain threshold that that you hit. And it really depends when it when it comes to like the amount of hours fasting, that's going to really depend on your metabolic flexibility. That means your ability to switch from burning sugar as a fuel source into burning fat as a fuel source. The better you are at burning fat for fuel, the less time you need to fast in order to kind of hit a state where your body's starting to um, increase the amount of autophagy that you're going through. And so this kind of goes into like the more that you're intermittent fasting, the better you're stabilizing your blood sugar, the lower your insulin levels, the better off you're going to be. And we know that insulin is probably the, the insulin is the most important hormone to track when it comes to autophagy. And so when we're looking at fasting insulin levels on blood work, you know, the person fasts overnight, let's say 12 to 14 hours overnight, they go in, they get blood work done. We always like to see that insulin under six, right? And so when it's under six, we know the body is starting to burn fat for fuel and that's good. So that's like an overnight fast. You're starting to burn fat for fuel. And so if you're very metabolically healthy, you're getting that insulin level under six, then I would say, yeah, roughly in that 16 to 18 hour range, you're starting to ramp up autophagy, but there's different stages here. You're going to get a good level of autophagy doing that but you're going to significantly increase your autophagy if you do an extended fast, three, four, five day fast, because now your body really needs the you know protein, right? It needs uh, amino acids to run so many different things in the body. And that's really what autophagy is. It's when your body's breaking down um, organelles, cellular organelles, in order to get raw materials that it can use for energy production, that it can use for um, you know, creating more efficient cellular organelles. So that way you're better at burning fat for fuel. You know, the body is built for survival and autophagy is, is based around that. So you're, when your body senses that it doesn't have, uh, you know, enough fuel, then it will start burning fat for fuel. When it says it senses, it doesn't have enough amino acids. It will start breaking down proteins, right? And again, we have a lot of damaged proteins throughout our body. When we think about like in the brain, uh, for somebody with Alzheimer's disease or, you know, really all of us have some level of beta amyloid. Beta amyloid is actually a protein. It's a protein that our body produces in the brain and it plays a really important role. It's actually antimicrobial, supports the immune system. But if it, if we get too much of that accumulating and sitting there, then we have a problem. So the the, the body will start to break down that beta amyloid when insulin gets goes down 
and we don't have enough amino acids in our bloodstream. So we start to metabolize it and break it down. And that's how we get rid of these, you know, excessive amounts of damaged proteins. And that's what we do within our cells as well. We start to break down older damaged mitochondria, cellular organelles, and start to uh, utilize those, recycle them, and basically create new, healthier, stronger, more stress-resilient organelles, new, healthier, more stress-resilient mitochondria. So it's a really powerful mechanism of what autophagy does. And again, you're going to get some, some increase there if you're very metabolically flexible at 16 to 18 hours. If you're not, if you're overweight, if you have high fasting blood sugar and insulin, um, you know, your hemoglobin A1C is high, we're seeing those kind of numbers high, then it could take 24 hours, 36 hours, might even take three days before you actually crack into getting any level of, you know, significant autophagy. But if you're meta metabolically flexible, you're going to hit different ranges. And so you're going to start getting that, you know, uh, healthy level of autophagy in a good 16, 18 hour fast. I'll also recommend for people to move it up to like a 20 to 24 hour fast, just to make sure we're, we're, we're dipping in deep into autophagy. And if you're doing that, like on a weekly basis, I think that you're getting a lot of accumulated autophagy over time. But if you want to really, you know, do a great reset and ramp up autophagy, you might do a three or five day fast, let's say every six months or every year. A lot of people do that. And that's a great way to get even, even higher levels of autophagy. Well said. Um, I think that's great. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, I think you're nailing it with, you know, metabolic flexibility. I mean, and, and this person, Marcus is asking, like, has there any way to know? And I think since we don't have clinical this is the one test that shows when autophagy stops and starts because that's not how the body works really. It's not on the light switch off and on. It's always, as you did say, on a continuum. But I think metabolic flexibility is so key here because the more you know, adapted you get, the shorter amount of time you need to, for your body to ramp up levels of autophagy and you know, getting rid of you know, senescent cells and, and repair and recycling. So I think that's great. And um, I, I totally agree. I think it, to be on the safe side, if you have at least a little bit of some fasting on your belt, 18 to 24 hours uh, minimum once a week is a good way to, you know, make sure you're getting in a little bit higher levels of autophagy. And then yes, continuing in, in your, you know, whatever your schedule is three, three day, five day, uh, once a quarter or something could be great. Um, a couple, a little bit, I guess, a little bit more crude measures. I know you, you mentioned insulin is the number one hormone to check if you, if you can do that. Um, but you could also, you know, if you are testing for ketones, like uh, keto mojo, I mean, that's not going to tell you if you're in autophagy, but it is going to tell you if you're metabolically shifted into creating ketones, which is going to stop a lot of glycolysis. And that's going to really tell you, hey, your system is able to start to maybe move towards producing ketones and allowing your, you know, the mitochondria and the cells to start to repair and, and get moved more into an, you know, an autophagy state. So that's something. And then blood sugar. I mean, if all you can do is check your blood sugar, I know that's not really ideal, but I'd say, you know, if you're between 50 and 70 um, uh, millime milliliters per deciliter, uh, roughly, but if you're feeling good, if you're feeling mentally clear, you have good energy, good mood, and your blood sugar is in that low range, then that's generally an indicator that you, you're probably getting a little bit into some autophagy um, and you know, more, more fat burning state. So those are, those are my thoughts on it. I think you covered, you know, really well in depth. So I think that's important though. I, I want to reiterate okay. too. also, yeah, testing ketones, I think is great. So, you know, if you're fasting and your ketones are getting up over one, two, 
right? Somewhere in that range, yeah. 1.0 to, to two or higher. Okay. And you're fasting. You've been fasting for, let's say, 16, 18 hours. Mm-hmm. Then more than likely you are in autophagy, especially if you don't notice cravings. Like if your blood sugar is dysregulated, you'll notice that you have more cravings. You have low energy. You have uh, perhaps irritability. So um, anxiety can be another another issue, nausea. These are conditions that are associated with hypoglycemia where you have blood sugar dysregulation. But if you're fasting 16, 18 hours, you feel great. You don't have cravings. Um, you, you feel very, very mentally stable. If you test your blood ketones, they're in that kind of one to two range. That's a sign that your body is breaking down fat effectively for fuel. And if you haven't had any sort of amino acids, right, because you're doing this fast, you should also be breaking down uh, I mean, proteins and amino acids and, uh, you know, going through that autophagy process. And I'm a huge advocate of having like a weekly ritual where you're doing a 16 to 18 hour fast, let's say at least three days a week. And then one day a week, you're doing that longer fast, 20 to 24 hours. I think if you do that over time, you're going to get great autophagy and self-healing benefits for those people that maybe have an autoimmune condition, uh, maybe a history of cancer, Maybe they are, you know, struggling to kind of lose the extra weight that they have, an extra 10 pounds or so. Then doing a more extended fast, let's say a three to five day fast, you know, even every quarter possibly, right? Every three months or so added in with kind of a regular intermittent fasting schedule, I think is really healthy um, and, and can be can be a great way to downregulate inflammation, uh, drive up more cellular healing and get even better benefits. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to keep going on the fasting piece here because Genevieve um, from YouTube asked, for my study of food combining natural hygiene, I learned that fruit's the best way to break fast. I've done this for many years, but now I'm hearing that I should be breaking a fast with protein. What is the best way to break a fast? And then she has a tag on question, and does consuming uh, apple cider vinegar or lemon and lime in water break a fast? So kind of you know, two more fasting yeah pieces here. Yeah, I'll I'll hit the last one. So apple cider vinegar or lemon, like a lemon juice or something like that. You know, if you get like fresh squeezed, uh, fresh squeezed lemon, there might be like one, there might be like five calories, you know, in Mm -hmm. two tablespoons or so it's, it's basically nothing. And the acidity in there helps blunt your, your, any sort of glycemic impact that you would have with that with those five calories or possibly one gram of fruit sugar in there. So not to be concerned about that. I know when you look at like the nutrition label on organic lemon juice, which I use all the time because I use it as a salad dressing, um, you look at that zero calories. So that's not going to break a fast. It's not sweet. So you're not going to get the um, cephalic or the brain response to something sweet like you might with stevia. That's a zero calorie sweetener. So apple cider vinegar, same thing, no calories in that. So those aren't going to blunt uh, or they're not going to negatively impact the fast. In fact, that could actually improve the fast because both of them have postbiotics in them, which are basically breakdown products of fermentation or, you know, lemon, lemon doesn't actually have specific postbiotics, but it has um, antioxidants in there, right? And the sourness in general actually helps stimulate the vagus nerve and the apple cider vinegar has acetic acid, which is a postbiotic. And so both of those can have a positive effect on the microbiome. 
and um, they actually help to stabilize blood sugar and bring down insulin. So you can have a great benefit there. So no, those are not going to break a fast. Now, as far as like what the best food is to break a fast, you know, it depends on how long you're fasting. First off, I mean, that's the first question to ask. Second thing is what, it, what was your digestion like pre-fast? So if you're doing a shorter fast, like a 24 hour or less fast, okay, then you really don't need to concern yourself with, okay, we need to break it with fruit. I need to have, you know, protein really just eat a good solid meal. You know, I know Hampton and I are both big fans of a lot of protein, you know, good, healthy proteins in your meal, polyphenols, healthy fats, fiber, right? So you can just have a normal, healthy, nutrient dense meal if it's under 24 hours, once we get above 24 hours, you may want to consider, and it really, again, it depends on your pre-existing digestion to begin with. If you've had a lot of digestive issues, then you might want to consider, um, you know, breaking it with maybe some bone broth or a smoothie, right? Doing something that's, that's liquid, like pre-digested or super easy to digest. Fruit is very, very easy to digest. So that makes sense. You could also do it with fruit. Although if you just consume a whole bunch of fruit without any sort of protein or anything like that, um, you're going to have high blood sugar and then your insulin is going to come out and, you know, an hour or two later, you're not going to feel so good. And so it's good to have the fruit with some protein in that case. Um, and again, that could just be like a smoothie, a fruit smoothie with, you know, a good quality protein powder that's easy to digest. So the longer you're fasting, the more consideration you need to take when you're breaking that fast. So three, five day fast, you know, you're going to take more consideration as far as, okay, we're going to break it with, with a smoothie or with bone broth or something like that. The shorter your fast, um, the less consideration you're just focusing on nutrient dense meals, like a real food meal with healthy fats, proteins, uh, fiber, polyphenols, all the good stuff in there. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so we said, you know, duration is really important. That's key. So for me, I, I'm thinking the same thing, a context wise duration, but then also what kind of fast are you doing? I mean, we don't, you know, may, I, I guess we could assume you might be saying water fast here and just what should you break it on introducing some kind of food, but if you're doing a bone broth fast, if you're doing, you know, greens juice and some bone broth or just water, that depends. Um, and then context of why you wanted to fast, let's say this was a three day fast. Um, and you're wanting to do these periodically to, to support fungal overgrowth and to support candida to get rid of some of that microbial, um, you know, imbalances, then, you know, sure, it, it might not be the, the best thing to break it with more fruit or more sugar-based, you know, carbohydrate-rich, you know, items. And you might want to prolong that ketogenic um, adaptation or, you know, autophagy and just continue to yeah, maybe start with some egg yolk, maybe do some bone broth, maybe do a little bit of some fermented vegetables or something. And you can just kind of keep riding that, that um, you know, keto adaptation and fat burning phase that you're in for a little bit longer. Um, that's one example. Or if you did a longer fast, like a block fast, sometimes if you get to five days, themselves really start to kick in and proliferate. So if you, you know, keep, keep that on going with just going right into a little bit more of a ketogenic style um, you know, diet, then that can prolong the benefits that you've got. So I think it depends on the context of why your fasting is important. Um, so that those are some, some things you can think about. And then, yeah, I love apple cider vinegar, lemon water. And I think those are tools. Again, um, I try to stress it's not an all or nothing thing and it's not a light switch. Like you're in, you know, autophagy or you're not. And I really like to, you know, just ask clients really, Hey, 
are you, like we said earlier, are you feeling good while you're fasting? If you're just doing water, do you have energy? Do you have some mental clarity? Is your mood decent? Um, and if not, adding some of the apple cider vinegar or lemon water, and if that perks you up, that gives you a little bit, you know, allows you to get some minerals in, some potassium, a little bit of just trace minerals from mitochondria, and you feel great, then that's actually going to be, in my opinion, better um, than if you weren't and you're just suffering through it. And, you know, maybe on paper, you might not be getting as much, you know, autophagy, but I would argue you, you are because you're not disrupting other, you know, systems of the body that are having to kind of over, you know, take that overburden of released metabolic waste and microbial die off and just, um, yeah. So that, that'll be my, you know, kind of thoughts on the matter there. Yeah, that's so. good. And you can even, you know, when you're fasting, especially doing an extended fast, you're more likely to have electrolyte deficiencies and need to support your electrolytes. So you can even mm. do, I know we have like a little homemade electrolyte drink recipe on our website, but it's basically a little bit of salt, maybe some lemon juice, or if mm. you don't do well with lemon, you can do apple cider vinegar, and then a little bit of uh, like potassium bicarbonate, right? Just a little bit of that in there. And that can make a big difference for a lot of people, especially people, some people as they're fasting also will notice acid reflux. I've had people say that mm. like, I'm, Hey, it's like, I, I fasted for two days and all of a sudden I've got acid reflux. And so the bicarbonate will help blunt that. And that's also a sign that there's some die off going on in your gut and mm. per, the postbiotics that you may get from something like apple cider vinegar have been shown to be very helpful there. Um, for relieving that. So that's very, very helpful. And then going back to the the other question as well, as you're doing an extended fast, particularly for somebody that's, let's say, older, you know, if you're young and healthy, I've seen younger, healthier people in general, they'll do a five-day fast and break it with, you know, a steak and, and, and feel fine, right? Right. Whereas as you get older or more inflamed, let's say you've got, you know, autoimmune disease, you've had irritable bowel, um, you've been through chemotherapy, things like that, then you want to be more gentle with how you break the fast. And the things that tend to be, uh, tend to take the most digestive energy or be the hardest for your system to digest are going to be red meat, right? Um, any sort of like heavy starch. I mean, think about oatmeal, breads, mm -hmm. potatoes, things like that. Uh, and then raw vegetables, right? Particularly raw, like cruciferous vegetables, so your broccoli, cabbage, things like that, when it's raw, that can also be tough to digest. So usually what we'll do is we have a ratio where for every two to three days you fast, you take one recovery day. And during that recovery day, you're consuming broths, maybe really well-cooked soups. So you can still consume meat, but you want the chicken, for example, to be like, uh, you know, boiled down to where it's kind of flakes off the fork, right? It's really tender. Mm. Um, same thing with the vegetables. You're having carrots or even potatoes in there. If you if you were in a soup, you want it to be really, really tender um, and just really soft. That's really important. Uh, fermented vegetables like you talked about, fruit, things like that are all great. Uh, smoothies, protein smoothies, all fantastic. But basically, you're just staying away from, you know, like a big steak, um, you know, bread, uh, things like that, baked potato. And, um, you know, raw, raw cruciferous vegetables. So if you stay off of those, that's probably going to give you the best bet, you know, and, and go with those more gentler, easier to digest foods for a day or two. Let's say you do a five-day fast. Let's say th then you maybe two recovery days and kind of you finish your second recovery day and you add in, you know, uh, a little bit of red meat, right? And, and, and see how your body does and how it responds with that.
Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, I guess, if Genevieve, if you are someone that says, well, I still want to break my, you know, fast with fruit, I can't, if maybe we emphasize this, but just low sugar fruits, you know, more water-based mm-hmm. fruits, more berries, yeah. the polyphenols, feed the, the, the bacteria. And yeah, not like, you know, Dr. Jockers just said, high starch, like bananas and, you know, mangoes and just, pot, you know, piling on that. Um, so that would be my two cents there. This podcast is sponsored by Liver Health Formula from Pure Health Research. For anyone looking to ignite their fat-burning metabolism, boost their energy, and transform how they look and feel, they must start taking care of their liver. Your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every single day. It's responsible for cleansing and removing thousands of harmful toxins, man-made chemicals, alcohol, and dangerous food additives and preservatives. And after decades of wear and tear, our livers slow down and they become sluggish. And this is why so many of us struggle with weight gain and feeling tired all the time. Fortunately, there's a simple all natural solution that I recommend. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities. It boosts your energy levels and can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. It also works remarkably well to fight fatty liver, which is a silent epidemic affecting 100 million Americans. And right now, as a listener of our show, you can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you're going to receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. This powerful blend of omega-3 fatty acids supports a healthy heart and brain with four times better absorption thanks to this special nano delivery system. You're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of age. Just go to getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers or call toll free at 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of liver health formula and all five bonus gifts. That's get liver help. So G E T L I V E R H E L P dot com forward slash jockers or call 800 282 1757. You're covered by their 365 day money back guarantee. So you have nothing to risk, but supplies are limited. So go head over to get liverhelp.com forward slash chalkers or call toll free at 800-282-1757 now to order liver health formula and claim your five free bonus gifts while you still can. That's getliverhelp.com forward slash chalkers or call 800-282-1757. Okay, yeah. let's, let's jump on to the next question. Mary on Instagram, switching gears here. She asked, I've been having a tough time waking up and feeling fatigued throughout the day. I eat healthy, try to exercise every day, and I feel like I sleep well. I take a good multivitamin, but I, but am I missing any nutrients? Hmm. So she's feeling fatigued throughout the day. She's taking yeah. a multivitamin. She feels like she's sleeping well and eating well. You know, some of the key nutrients that I think about when I think about fatigue, and we could, there's a lot of different factors that could be contributing to her fatigue. That's the first thing that I would say. Certainly nutrient deficiencies are one of those things, 
and we will discuss that. But you also have to consider perhaps you're sleeping in a home with mold, right? That's a common contributor to fatigue. Maybe you're not getting enough sunlight throughout the day, right? You're not getting out in the sun. Maybe you're staying inside. Maybe your air quality is just not good in general. Maybe you've got new furniture and they're off-gassing formaldehyde and you're breathing that in. So these are all, you know, too much toxicity or perhaps you've got, you know, infections, parasites, um, bacterial infections in your gut, dysbiosis in your gut, H. pylori. So all of those can be major contributors to fatigue. So we always have to think about toxins. We have to think about infections and what your exposure may be to that. If you're sleeping well, that's great. So that if you feel like you're sleeping really well, it's telling us most likely circadian rhythm disruption is not the major contributor here. Otherwise, you may have a lot of trouble sleeping or just not feel like you're you're getting enough sleep, you're waking up, you're restless throughout the night. Those would be classic signs of what you're, you'd be telling us if you had circadian rhythm disruption. So, I'm, you know, we can't fully rule that out. I'd like to know more. However, um, for, for the purposes of this conversation, we'll just say, okay, sleep is good. We have to look at toxins. We have to look at infections. And then we can look at nutrients, right? And, and you know, one that jumps jumps out would be iron. You know, perhaps you know, for a lot of people, they're they're anemic or they're trending in an anemic manner. And that may be because, you know, anytime somebody has anemia, we always think, okay, are they losing too much blood? For example, are they menstruating or have they had some sort of major trauma where they they bled a lot or they did they have surgery recently or something like that? Uh, menstruation, heavy menstruation is the number one reason why for women that they will end up anemic. But number two is just not absorbing enough iron, right? So they may, she may be a vegan and not consuming enough heme iron from animal products. And that's a, a common contributor, or she may have an infection in her gut or poor, you know, just malabsorption in general, maybe a history of celiac disease, and therefore, she's not able to chelate and absorb that iron effectively that perhaps is coming in her diet. So those would be the things that we need to address. So iron is a major contributor. I know, Hampton, you, you're probably thinking of some other nutrients that play in here as well. Yeah. Oh, gosh. We could talk oh, forever. This is a, a big question here, and we don't have specific We'll take context. our time. Yeah, we'll take our time. So, yeah, we'll just – okay, we'll go for it. So – Nutrient-wise, what pops in my mind first, I mean, she's taking a multi. We don't know what's in that or quality, but I could just assess. Generally, there's a good B complex in a, in a multi. Hopefully, it's, it's a decent one. So we probably have Bs covered in the sense, but I think of magnesium. That's never going to be enough in a multivitamin. Um, uh, specifically for energy, you know, you could consider CoQ10, PQQ, carnitine. Those are great you know, nutrients for the mitochondria inside that Krebs cycle electron transport um, chain. So those are some nutrients if she's experiencing fatigue that could maybe help, but those are helpful absolutely, but only as good as her digestion is. So, you know, we always talk about stomach acid for protein digestion and mineral absorption, fat soluble vitamins, you need carnitine to help break down fat and get bile um, moving. So, and then any of, you know, dark bitter herbs, you know, dandelion teas, um, just th that would be something that's on my mind, but healthy diet, we don't know what healthy means. Cause like you mentioned, she could be low iron, you know, anemic, like if she's on a high plant-based or vegan diet. If you're doing full on keto and maybe you're super high in your fats and you're not digesting that well, that could mm -hmm. certainly contribute to massive fatigue. Um, even just after your protein rich meals, if, if you're feeling a slump, 
then that's letting us know, hey, stomach acid and you know some enzymes are, are likely low. Um, so we'd want to work to support that. So those are some areas I think. So digestive enzymes, hydrochloric acid potentially. Um, you know, of course, a good if you're not eating fermented foods, a good. You know, I'm a fan of a full spectrum. You know, probiotics. So you can get some soil based. You can get the yeast, Saccharomyces boulardii, and then some lacto and bifido um, bacteria in there. Um, so those would be some nutrients, some supplements I think could help. But I think diet here is really important to kind of tweak and dial in. If you're sleeping good, um, then we want to look at well, what are you eating and how are you digesting it? How are you feeling really within the last, you know, within an hour after you eat? And that would give us a better indicator of kind of where your metabolism is or isn't um, working ideally. And then we could kind of, you know, tailor in some more of these specific nutrients. But I think in general, like a magnesium, some enzymes, you know, potentially HCL, if protein digestion seems to be a trouble. Um, and then B, B vitamins would, would kind of be your, your base mitochondria, respiration, you know, kind of energy uh, units that I are or, or nutrients that I would recommend off the top of my head. Yeah, for sure. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, biggest thing is I always look at first off are definitely iron and what like hemoglobin levels look like, hematocrit. So when we're looking at the blood work, we're looking right at that and make sure that that you know that you would be getting enough oxygen to the cells because that's really what the red blood cells do but you have to have enough hemoglobin uh, which is a protein within the red blood cells that you know basically holds on to oxygen and so iron is the key mineral for that so that's why i mentioned iron to begin with vitamin b12 i see a lot of people low in b12 they start supplementing with like a methylated b12 and immediately they notice improvements in their energy and sometimes people have an autoimmune issue where they're they're breaking down where basically their body is targeting their immune system is targeting this key uh protein within the within our stomach called intrinsic factor which is critical for the absorption of vitamin b12 and if that's the case then it's harder for you to absorb b12 from your food and so sometimes taking like a sublingual form where it dissolves under your tongue gets right into your bloodstream bypassing digestion can be really really helpful but we can look at B12, we can look at homocysteine and make sure that's under nine for sure, you know, ideally around seven or so um, on the blood work. And, um, you know, that will let us know what your B12 levels basically, that's going to help us understand, are you absorbing B12 and utilizing it? So if you're looking at your serum B12, you know, it should be up over 800. Okay. That's what we always want to see. And I'll see a lot of people are saying, well, I'm taking a multivitamin and their B12 is like 400. Okay. And, and it's usually not flagged on the blood work until it's, I believe under like 250. And, um, so it's not flagged, but it's, it's certainly low and you're not getting enough of what B12 does, which is, you know, important role in methylation helps protect nerve endings, very important for energy production. So those are key things to look at. I also see fatigue associated with low zinc. So zinc deficiencies we'll commonly see, um, especially if somebody had like a viral infection, because when you have an infection, you typically are depleting zinc. Zinc is really key for um, stopping viral replication within a cell. So people will have a an infection, like for example, COVID or something like that. They'll deplete all their zinc. They're not supporting their zinc levels, and maybe they're not producing enough stomach acid to absorb it very well. Not eating enough good, you know, quality grass-fed animal products, wild-caught fish whatever it is, but they're not getting enough zinc and uh, they can have fatigue with that. And then you mentioned magnesium. That's another another key one that we see very commonly deficient. So, 
yeah, you mentioned a lot of different nutrients. I just want to touch again on, on some of those. But, you know, if you're dealing with fatigue and you feel like you're doing a lot of these things right, I would definitely recommend reaching out, getting a functional health coach, somebody like Hampton here to help look at labs, assess, really do it, take a deep patient history and understand all the different components that are going on in your lifestyle um, and your history. And then also be able to look and assess any labs that you have and come up with a customized health plan to help you really get to the root cause. Yeah, I'll just add in that's that's great um, with a full comprehensive blood analysis. That way, like we can look at a full iron panel and we can see what ferritin stores is. We can see what mm-hmm. serum iron is. We can look at we can correlate that with homocysteine, and we could we can look at all these markers. And at, in addition to that, we can look at a full we didn't talk about it, but a full thyroid panel and see metabolically how your thyroid's doing. And you know mm-hmm. if you're you're struggling to produce thyroid hormone or you know, are there gut infections that are, you know, negatively affecting thyroid hormone conversion in the gut and then the liver? Um, and then we touched on nutrients, magnesium, zinc, retinol is another one that you need. Of course, everyone knows mm-hmm. iodine, selenium, th- these minerals that maybe the multivitamin, the forms are not bioavailable, you know, and you're not, your body's, you're, you think you're getting it, but it, it's not getting into the cells. So those are some other things that if we do a full comprehensive blood analysis, we can really fine tune and see thyroid, iron panel, inflammation markers, biomarkers, nutrient markers, B12, all those things. Well, B12, we can we can kind of see where it's at on the blood, but um, overall we can get a great picture. So that's something to yeah. consider if you want to kind of tweak things. Um, if you feel like you're doing, as Dr. Jocker said, all these things really well and just can't figure out some of the fine tuning things. So that's where testing is very helpful. Okie dokie. Let's go to, forgive me if I cannot pronounce this name like Trabaka. Trabaka. <laughs> on YouTube, um, you mentioned eating the coll- uh, collagenous regions of meat. You said eat the joint capsule, but mm. isn't that bone? Question mark. Please share a few examples of of these regions. Yeah. So I think what they were referring to is I know in uh, previous Q and As or in videos, I've talked about when you look at a chicken wing. So you know a lot of people order chicken wings. You know I I enjoy chicken wings. You probably do as as well, Hampton. But the actual meat, the protein component of the chicken wing is not the healthiest component. It's actually within the joint capsule, right? So when you actually, the joint capsule itself is full of collagenous proteins that are really healthy for the body. And so um, there is, the joint is kind of like a transition point between bone and muscle. So that's where the tendon, the ligaments are, the tendon connects the muscle to the bone and the ligaments connect bone to bone basically. And so they're all kind of surrounding this, this joint and it's, it's basically, you know, like the little legs for the chicken. So, uh, it's a ball and socket joint and it is definitely edible. Okay. It's a little bit more crunchy, obviously it's more crunchy than meat, but it's definitely edible. And so if you have healthy working teeth, I mean, you can easily chew it and and crunch it down. Now, obviously there's a component of the bone that's, you know, very rich in calcium that, that you're going to have a hard time with unless you boil it down significantly, which you could if you're making chicken soup or something like that. Um, you can actually boil it down. You can actually eat a lot of these you know, bones that you would think are unedible. In fact, our ancestors, many of them would actually do that. That's how they make the bones and the minerals in the bones and the proteins in the bones edible is they would boil it down uh, in water. And that's, you know, you can get, you, you free up all those uh, key nutrients that are in there. However, if you're just eating chicken wings, just take a, a, a you know, a, 
a munch out of the uh, synovial joint, the head of it, and you're going to get a lot of these collagenous proteins. Plus, inside of there, inside the bone, once you once you take off the joint capsule, that's where the bone marrow is. So the bone marrow is on the inside of the the long bone, and so you, then you go ahead and you just kind of suck at it, and you'll get some of that bone marrow out. And it doesn't taste bad; it actually tastes quite good. And that's where you get the most nutrients when you're consuming something like chicken wings. There you go. There's there's there the go. answer. Um, yeah, I, I guess I normally just get it from we cook bone broth or meat stock or whatever, and you know it it, it infuses into the to the water. Um, and yeah, sometimes I'll chew on it, but I guess. Don't, you know, yeah, getting it in is great, but we're not saying like chomp down and try to, you know, eat half of the chicken wing and half, just nibble on it to taste, get some of that in your mouth. You're going to, it's, you'll be benefit. You'll get more of the nutrients is what we're, what we're saying here. And if you want to eat it, go for it. Right. You know? Yeah. And actually, <laughs> actually chewing on kind of the gelatinous regions this is something our ancestors did. And when, when like, for example, Weston Price, who is this famed dentist, he has a Weston Price Foundation. He went and looked at Aboriginal cultures in Africa, and they were eating, you know, the whole animal, for example, and they would eat a lot of this collagenous regions, these collagenous regions, and it's harder to chew on tendons and ligaments and joint capsules. They're harder to chew, but actually that made their jaw stronger and more rounded, which was associated with healthier dental health, right? Just better dental health in general. Um, and also better breathing. So you actually, when you're challenging your jaw like that, although it can be uncomfortable, just like exercise, you know, it can be a little uncomfortable, but doing it from time to time, and you might have to start small so you don't get a cramp in your jaw or anything like that, but challenging your jaw muscles, uh, just kind of like exercise, kind of a continual gradual overload is what the, the principle will use the principle of overload and exercise where you're just kind of gradually making yourself more and more uncomfortable then your jaw muscles are going to get stronger. Your mouth's going to get more rounded and actually improves uh, your breathing patterns, which reduces your risk of sleep disordered breathing when you're sleeping at night. So sleep apnea and different issues like that. So it's not a bad thing, right? Even if it's a little uncomfortable chewing on it, it's actually beneficial for you. You don't want to choke. You know, you want to make sure you're chewing it as well as you can, but doing a little bit of that um, and kind of gradually building up uh, to a certain certain level is actually very, very healthy for your, your jaw, your breathing, um, and your sleep quality as well. Man, I got to do that a little bit more. You inspire me here. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in America, we're eating, you know, soft, super palatable foods, right? In, in westernized first world countries, we try to make everything super easy to digest. And there's a time and a place for that. And we just talked about coming off the fast, somebody right. that maybe has digestive compromise. There's definitely, it's a great thing that we have foods that are very, very easy to break down and digest. But the reality is we either use it or we lose it. And our jaw is actually a very, very powerful muscle. And if we're not using that, we're going to lose that strength and that can affect other areas of our body and yeah. our overall health. Yeah, that's that's cool. And I love Dr. Winston Price. I mean, all the pictures in his books, you know, no matter where they were, you know, in the region and in the, in the, on the world, all their teeth were perfect, you know, yeah, full, full developed. Um, Health, so really healthy jaw uh, structure. Yes. Yeah. Teeth, gums, jaw structure, everything. On this podcast, I talk all the time about getting high quality, deep restorative sleep because it's just so critically important for your overall health. And I talk a lot about sleep hygiene. We talk about keeping your room as dark as possible. 
wearing an eye mask, keeping your room cool. We talk about blue light blocking glasses at night before you go to bed. But you know what we often overlook? In fact, I don't think I've ever really talked about it, is the importance of having really comfortable bedding, sheets, blankets, and pillows. I mean, it's just common sense. You really need to be as comfortable as possible in your bed. And that's why I want to introduce you guys to my friends over at Cozy Earth. They develop and craft high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so that you can get the restorative sleep you need to curate your sanctuary and recharge from the comfort of your home. What I love about Cozy Earth is they use this sustainable, viscous from bamboo fabrics and it's softer than cotton. It feels amazing and it's temperature regulating, which means it will keep you cool and comfortable all night long. Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorites list four years in a row and they have a 10-year warranty on all their products and they offer a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try it for 100 nights and if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. I mean, doesn't get any better than that, guys. I guarantee you are gonna love their fabrics. Check them out. Go to CozyEarth.com and they provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today. You get 35% off site-wide when you use the code DRJockers or Dr. Jockers, all one word, DRJockers at checkout. So again, go to CozyEarth.com, use the coupon code DRJockers at checkout to save 35% off today. All right. Let's see. We keep Last going. Question. We got time. Yep. Last, Last one. question. Okay. All right. Little Voice asks, do you feel tahini is health healthy? Should we be concerned about AGEs, advanced glycation end products, if the sesame seeds uh, were roasted before being ground. Um, she asked another question, but we'll see how long we go on this one. And the other one's a little completely different topic. So maybe start there. Yeah. Yeah. So she mentioned AGEs, advanced glycation end products, which can occur when we have elevated blood sugar in our bloodstream that can bind to proteins. You know, we, we, we actually measure that called hemoglobin A1C, which is a measurement of the amount of glycation or browning of the proteins in our body, right? And, that, and that's obviously a major, major issue. Now you can also get AGEs, um, you know, like heterocyclic amines, for example, which is a common one when you are grilling, right? Or roasting, you know, any sort of protein, cooking any sort of protein at a, at a high enough temperature. Um, from the diet, when it comes to heterocyclic amines and AGEs, you know, I definitely, I definitely try to avoid um, you know, obviously you want to, you want to like, for example, we could talk about tahini. We could talk about meat. You're going to get AGEs when you cook meat as well. But I do think that there's benefit in cooking. It obviously makes it a little easier for your body to chew and, and break down and get nutrients out of, you don't want blackened meat. So you don't want to barbecue meat to the point where it's blackened. So you do have to be careful with that. When it comes to something like tahini, I'm not a huge fan of tahini. I think doing it in moderation from time to time for somebody that's healthy is fine. Um, however, you are roasting a seed and seeds in general already have a high composition of polyunsaturated fats. And those polyunsaturated fats, the omega-3s, omega-6s that are in there, in the case of sesame, it's much higher in omega-6. And so you are going to de- you're going to damage those fats and those damaged rancid fats can cause problems in your body. So I'm much more of a fan of a raw tahini if you're going to go with tahini than a roasted. 
Although, again, I don't think roasted tahini is the worst food. I mean, there's obviously a lot worse foods. Going to Krispy Kremes and getting a donut is a lot worse than roasted tahini. I just don't think it's as good as getting a raw tahini. And the one way that you address the AGEs or the heterocyclic amines that you might get from these things is combine them with antioxidant-rich foods. So like with meat, you want to have, you know, you can marinate it in, let's say, lemon juice and extra virgin, high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil. And then from there, you can um, have a big salad with it, right? And you can do something along those lines. Same with tahini. So tahini oftentimes is used, for example, to make hummus. And so if you're using like a good extra virgin olive oil, high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil in the hummus, that's great. I've also told people if you're making a, like a homemade hummus, um, put turmeric in there, right? Turmeric is a really powerful herb, gives a little orange color to it, um, but it's powerful anti anti-inflammatory, tons of polyphenols in there to help quench oxidative stress that you might get from the AGEs. So that's another strategy or eat it with, you know, fruits and vegetables, things like that. So tahini, kind of like a, a nut butter can be good on apple, for example, or strawberries or whatever it is. So if you're having it with antioxidants, I don't think that that's that bad. Um, I think that's, you know, a lot better. It's a real food. I, I would consider it a real food, although getting raw tahini is going to be a lot better than the roasted tahini. Yep. My thoughts exactly. Um, eat it in moderation, not all the time. Um, I think the biggest thing here is, is the omega-6, omega-3 ratio, linoleic acid. You touched on it. Seed oils, you don't want any seed oils oxidized because they become rancid and they become inflammatory and oxidative, you know, to our cells. So eat it with you know, if it was roasted, yeah, eat it with, you know, the antioxidants. But if it's a raw one, you don't have much to worry about. I just wouldn't overdo it because, again, we get way, we get plenty of omega-6s. Focusing on omega-3s usually helps most people kind of balance out. So that those are my thoughts on tahini. I, I like tahini. My wife eats it. Yeah, she eats it with apples. Um, I like it just a little, you know, like with the olive oil and some lemon in a salad sometimes. Um, I just don't eat a ton of it. So that's kind of how I, I go about most seeds in general or seed, you know, butters, if you will. I guess that's technically what this is. So jpaulocx on Instagram asks, I suffer from tremors. What can I do to help this? So tremors is a neurological disorder and very much associated with, you know, so again, we got to go back to toxicities, infections, and potential deficiencies in circadian rhythm disruptions, right? So um, people that have tremors, like for example, we know about Parkinson's tremors, but there's a whole bunch of other tremors. There's essential tremors, there's uh, resting tremors. There's a lot of different types of tremors and and causes for tremors. And some people are more genetically prone to having tremors than others. But you know, whenever somebody has have tremors, I start thinking, okay, toxicity affecting the brain. So I think mold and mycotoxins, uh, perhaps. Um, you know, perhaps heavy metals. So maybe they have mercury amalgam fillings. Maybe they've had a history of vaccines that were high in aluminum. Um, and so those would be things that we want to look at and consider. And a lot of times just removing the toxic source can play a big role with that. When it comes to different nutrients, then I'm thinking again, a lot of the same ones we talked about, magnesium, vitamin B12, both of those play a really important role in neurology. So I'm thinking... Perhaps, you know, a little bit of magnesium, some B12, you know, of course, we want to look at labs, things like that. Uh, but those can play a really big role with improving tremors. Omega-3 fatty acids uh, have been shown to help improve there. 
things that help reduce inflammation in general, curcumin would be one. So we talked about that uh, with turmeric, right? So, uh, curcumin is the main polyphenol in, in turmeric or the most well-studied one. So that can be really helpful here. Things that help support glutathione like N-acetylcysteine can be very helpful or like a, a liposomal glutathione can be very, very helpful. It's our body's master antioxidant. So all of those can be super helpful. Um, and, and then we also have to look at infections. Perhaps there's dysbiosis in the gut. Perhaps this person's dealing with um, a yeast overgrowth or candida overgrowth. Candida releases gliotoxin and acetaldehyde, which is basically like a form of, and, it, and that gets up into the brain, that's almost like a form of alcohol poisoning. So yeast are releasing acetaldehyde and gliotoxin. Glio affects the glial cells in the brain, which are kind of the immune slash lymphatic component of the brain. So it affects those, it, it damages them, causes widespread brain inflammation, which can lead to something like tremors. So uh, candida overgrowth, perhaps parasites or just dysbiosis in the gut can, can be contributors. Lyme disease, a lot of people with Lyme disease where you have a bacterial infection that's in the blood and it can also harbor in different tissues of the body, like in the brain, that can also trigger tremors. So these would all be things that we'd want to look at and consider. So there's no real major low-hanging fruit. Okay. We want to really address all of those things. But if you are dealing with tremors, that's like a red flag sign that you want to work with a functional health coach. Like if you're dealing with that, you want to get to that early and quickly and find the root cause, address that, and, and to the point where your tremors substantially improve, if not completely go away, okay? Because that is telling you, if you're having the tremor, it's telling you your brain is on fire. There's inflammation. It's coming from somewhere, right? And it's only going to get worse unless you get to the root cause and get it addressed. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where testing is very helpful too. We can look at a GI stool map and see what's going on in the microbiome. We can look at organic acids to see meta, you know, metabolism as well as, as microbiome. And those, those can be fantastic tests to see a mycotoxin test to really, you know, as Dr. Jockers is saying, get more of a fine-tuned area of, of where we need to focus on that might be the root cause for a lot of this neurological inflammation and, um, you know, disruption that's resulting in this, this tremor. Um, so that that's really helpful. A few nutrients that I think too, I mean, we mentioned, I think you mentioned magnesium, but I think choline is really helpful, especially mm -hmm. with the methylation cycle, really big with neurotransmitters, um, you know, neuro, the neurocommunication in between the cells. Um, what else? CBD is another one along with turmeric. It can be a, a nice combo, um, for, for inflammation. Um, what else? We talked about the gut. So binders is, is definitely going to be helpful potentially if there's mycotoxins and things like that. And then hydration and minerals are, are really important because the nervous system conducts uh, electricity basically. So we have to be hydrated and have water in and out of the cells to move the, the nerve signals and we have to have minerals to activate the enzymes for, you know, all of that information sharing and biochemical processes to be going on in the body. So I like, there's a bunch of good trace mineral supplements you can get, a fulvic and humic uh, mineral concentrate um, are great to, to use as well, pinch of sea salt and water. So really stress hydration and minerals, I think is a foundation pillar that you can do regardless of what, you know, if you have a test in front of you or not, that's, those are some really important things to, to focus on as well. 
Yeah, that's great, Hampton. So again, if you're dealing with tremors, again, it's a red flag warning sign. So definitely time to take action. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this Q&A. We went through a lot of key questions and every month we do this. So if you do have questions, you can post them on uh, Dr. David Jocker's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or you know, probably the best way is actually just email us at info at drjockers.com. So that way we'll add your question to the list. And at some point, you know, we only get to like five or six of these because a lot of these are thorough. We got we got to give thorough answers to them. But at some point we'll get to your question and address that on one of these Q&As. So thanks so much for doing that. Guys, reach out to Hampton. If you're looking for a great health coach, Hampton at drjockers.com. You can email him any sort of health questions, concerns you have, any interest in uh, his coaching program, and and he can fill you in and and uh, give you more details on that. So thanks for joining us today, Hampton. Everybody, if you haven't left us a five-star review, please do that now. Just go to Apple iTunes, scroll to the bottom, leave us a five-star review. That helps us reach more people and impact more lives. Thanks so much. Thank you for being a part of this community, and we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Be blessed. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.